Let's go ahead and open with prayer tonight. Y'all please agree with me. Father, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be covered under an anointing. Even now, Holy Spirit, as you're moving upon every one of us to give us good soul of hearts and minds and lives and help us to lock in and focus to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that we're not going to be distracted. And Lord, we bind anything that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to accomplish and what it's supposed to. It's bound in Jesus' name, but we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit speaking through me and the winds of the Holy Spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to because the Bible says it will not return void, but will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for to do. So we thank you for now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I've got a little bit of different things I want to share, but first, before I forget, so we're going to talk about cleansing homes and land, but all of this is connected. So just follow me because it's going to seem like I'm going different places. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell large portions of scripture in a condensed form. But in the days of Daniel, we know that Israel went into Babylonian captivity and it was because of their sin. And so Jeremiah was the last and great prophet that was there and prophesying. So as they were, Nebuchadnezzar took them to Babylon. They were there 70 years. And we know that in the early part of that, there was a lot of Jews that were there with Daniel. And we, know, for example, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, they were people that were religious and prayed, earnestly prayed, sought God. And you could see the miracles. I mean, for example, Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. Miracles. Okay, God was moving. It was really powerful. As time went on, though, there's kind of a, a, a span of years about this, okay? But Daniel, we know that, that God moved on the heart of Cyrus, and he began to send back uh, a lot of the Jews under Zerubbabel, who was a descendant of David, and Joshua the high priest. And they began to rebuild the temple. We know all of this, okay? And then many years later, Ezra and Nehemiah. But whenever all these Jews started going back, and of course, maybe some of the righteous ones died off, whatever the reason, we see that Daniel was still there and he was still praying. But I want you to notice the difference. Daniel set himself to pray. I believe Daniel chapter 9. And as he did, he began to partial fast for 21 days. But it took that long because of this reason. God answered Daniel on the first day he prayed, but, but here's what happened. It went from Babylon, and eventually it came under Persian rule. And what was restraining Gabriel from getting to Daniel? What was it? Do you all remember? The prince of Persia. So it was a principality associated with Persia. And that principality was restraining Gabriel and hindering him until God sent Michael and broke through. Now, here's my... My opinion, I've been saying stuff like this for actually quite a while, but whenever in 90, I don't know, 96, 7, 8, right in there, I was at a particular church where these two older ladies were discipling me, but they were intercessors. And it was just a God appointment, it was a divine appointment in my life, and they began to teach me how to pray. Long and short of it, I saw how God really used them and how they understood getting in the spirit. 
And a lot of people don't really understand this anymore, but they would get deep in the spirit and they would pray in tongues and they would groan and travail and they would pray things all the way through till it was done and they taught me how to do that. And they were the ones that taught me about you feel a burden until you feel a release from that burden or a joy. You'll, you'll sense it when you prayed it through. They knew how to do that. They knew how to fast. And I remember that their prayers were a real key to that church. Anyway, I thought about how they were elderly, and I, I doubt that they're still alive today, but think about this. This was all born back in the days of the Azusa Street Revival, and took it carried on through like the 40s and 50s, and on into when I was a kid, like in the 80s, that we had these powerful intercessors. But it was like in the 90s, they, it seemed like that was... They were getting older and many of them were kind of dying off. And here's what I'm concerned about. They haven't really been replaced. I've talked to so many different people that even some that travel the entire nation and they've told me throughout America that there's not the intercessors there used to be in churches. They're not praying like they used to. You, you know, these intercessors, there was maybe only a couple of them, but they would come up during the week and they would pray when nobody was there in the sanctuary or come before church or when the Holy Spirit was moving in the service. But they knew how to pray and their intercession had a lot to do with what was going on in the church. And they've been dying off, but you're not seeing them replaced. And I wonder, with that said, you see now that America has become secularized and much of the church has put too much of a focus on other things. It's not about the spiritual, really. Unfortunately, what's popular right now is more program-driven. It's more entertainment-based. It's more motivational speeches. And it's really concerning because the, the power of the Spirit to really affect your region is not there like it used to be. And so I'm, I'm asking God in these latter days to raise up real powerful prayer warriors. And I know that some people are praying, but I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say without it maybe sounding rude or, or something I don't mean. But I don't think that they know how to pray. You understand what I mean? I under, these intercessors knew how to get in the Spirit and really pray. I think a lot of what I've seen is more of just singing and I don't know how to explain it. It's not the depth it used to be. It's not the power that I once knew. It doesn't have the punch to it that it used to. Is everybody hearing me tonight? And so help me pray about that. And those that listen to our ministry, uh, that help us pray that God really move in these areas and raise up intercessors and prayer warriors like never before. Because in our nation, we're seeing that witchcraft has become one of the fastest growing religions, Satanism has become mainstream like never before. You're seeing the secularization of our, our nation. And we need prayer. And because of prayer, we need revival. And in that, we need a harvest of souls. But prayer is the key. All right. So let me just talk about a few things tonight. First Timothy 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So deceitful spirits are like seducing spirits or spirits of deception. So the Holy Spirit says in the latter times that some will fall away from the faith, 
because they're listening to spirits of deception and teachings that come from the demonic. Did everybody catch that? Please give me your best ear tonight. Let's, let's try to zero in on this together. The concern I have is that there are spirits of deception and there are teachings that are deceiving teachings that are out there now. And the problem is, is that a lot of people don't want to love the truth. They don't want to listen to sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it when people are telling them the truth. They search high and low to try to find somebody out there somewhere that's going to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And whether it be that they want some type of a sexual lifestyle that God's against, they'll just look until they find somebody that tells them it's okay. That doesn't mean that you're going to get in heaven just because you found somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. There's goofy people out there. The Bible is so, so clear against witchcraft. And there's still goofy people that think that you can mix Christianity and witchcraft. There's groups that do it. Let me tell you, I wouldn't even come close to going to some goofy place like that. In fact, when I got there, I'd start binding things and taking authority. And they'd be mad at me because anything circling would stop circulating in that place. That is, that is demonic. And so there's a lot of other examples I can give, but I think you get the point. People are looking for somebody just to tell them what they want to hear. Look, love the truth, endorse sound doctrine. And I'll get to some of that a little bit later. But as I was thinking about this, the problem that many Christians face when studying the Bible is this. Make sure that you put aside all your preconceived ideas. Let me say that again. Make sure that you put aside, when you study the word, all your preconceived ideas and your personal prejudices, whatever that is. See, people have grown up in different ethnic backgrounds. They've grown up in different parts of the world. They've grown up in different denominations. They've been taught all these different things. When you study the Bible, you better make sure that you put all that aside and you just read it to say what it says. If it tells you something you don't like, then get over it and repent and let your life line up with the word. Amen? And so we got to put aside all these other things because I think a lot of particular denominations that are out there, and I'm not picking on any one, but they have all these traditions of men, these pet doctrines and things that that are added to the Scripture and manipulating the Scripture. And we've got to get beyond those things. All right, the second thing I want to talk about is the Shunammite. Now this is getting closer to where I'm going with your home. Just like in our society, if you want the glory, you want God in your home, you're going to have to make your home a place of prayer. When, you know, Brianna was growing up and and I was raising her, look, it was just understood. Just like you brush your teeth every day, you prayed every day. That's just the way it was. And so now she's grown up and she's a prayer warrior and all that. But listen, God expects us that you're not going to just be somebody that is uh, religious and going through the motions, but you're somebody that has a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ. And that only comes from your personal prayer life. And so your home needs to be a place of prayer, both individually and coming together to pray. Now, let me tell you the story again, large portion of scripture, I'm going to shrink down very briefly, but the Shunammite woman. So when Elijah died, or rather, he was taken up in the chariot and disappeared, Elijah drops his mantle. We know the story that Elisha picked up the mantle 
And Elisha inherited a double portion of the anointing. And so what God was doing in the days of Elisha, what was going on in the earth, God was doing through Elisha. And Elisha had a great anointing. And he had a a servant that went with him by the name of Gehazi. And wherever Elisha would travel to different places. So there was a lady that lived in Shunem and she saw Elisha come through. And she asked her husband's permission and she said, I perceive that this is a real man of God and he travels through here. So would it be okay with you that, that we have the servants build him a place that he can lodge? And her husband says, sure, whatever you, you desire to do. So she had her servants go and they built him like a little addition to the home there, like a little apartment, if you will. And every time Elisha could come through that area, instead of having to find a place to lodge him, I don't know, pitch a tent or whatever, he could just stay there with her. And I'm sure that they cooked and fed him in Gehazi. So one day, now I want you to notice this, this woman welcomed the move of God into her home. And as she welcomed the move of God, the glory into her home, God gave her seven notable miracles. The first one was this. Whenever Elisha was laying there one day, I'm sure he was thinking about how nice it was that he had this place and food to eat. And he said, I wonder what I could do for this woman or what God could do for her. So he had Gehazi go call for her and she stood in the doorway and he said, what can be done for you? Could I speak to the king on your behalf? And she said, no, I'd I'm a, I dwell among my people. I don't need any notoriety or anything. He said, well, what do, you, what do you want? And she said, well, you know, she was kind of saying like this, don't toy with my emotions, okay? But she said, I, I, she's been barren. I haven't been able to have a son. And he said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. And she said, I don't mess with me, man of God. And she said, no, I'm telling you, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And so the first notable miracle, now remember what I said. She welcomed the move of God. She welcomed the revival of that day. The glory, she welcomed the God, God's move into her home and into her life, into her family. What happened? Number one, she had a supernatural pregnancy and God gave her a son. And that was something that she deeply had in her heart. But I want you to not only see it in the natural, but see it in the spiritual. Revival speaks of like a supernatural birth. That's a revival or harvest of souls. So don't just look at it in the natural, but look at it kind of spiritual as well. When you welcome the move of God in your life and in your home, don't be surprised if you start seeing people getting saved and start seeing a move of God in your life. All right, number two, one day, probably around 10 years later or so, her son was out in the fields working and he cried out my head. I don't know if he had an aneurysm or what, but he collapsed on the ground and he died. And so this woman... Here's what she did. She had her son carried and she took him to the place where she built for Elisha. And she put the boy on that bed. Probably the very bed Elisha prophesied from that he would be born. And she went to go get Elisha. And she mounted up her horse and chair, whatever, and she took off and she wasn't going to stop until she found him. And she said... My son has died. So along and short of it, Elisha came to that very place. Remember, this was where she built a place for
for God to dwell, so to speak, for God, for revival in her life and her family, right? And in that room, in that place, Elisha laid on top of the boy. He put his hands to his hands. Remember that? His feet to his feet, his mouth to his mouth. And God breathed life back into that boy. And he came back. God resurrected him from the dead. And so the second notable miracle was she actually had a resurrection from the dead in her home. Think about that. And now let's spiritualize that as well. What is revival? Except that God raises from the dead. Okay? Think about the dead things in people's lives. Or they spiritually have died. God's going to resurrect that. All right. Number three. This was uh, 2 Kings chapter 4 so far. But it doesn't end there. 2 Kings chapter 8 picks up her story. She welcomed the move of God in her life. So Elisha told her in advance, he said, there's going to come a famine in the land. So you need to take your family and go somewhere else where you can have food because a famine's coming. And so she had advance warning. So number, number three notable miracle, the prophetic came to her life. She had supernatural revelation come to her that protected her and her family from a famine. Amen? And then number four, she went to live among the Philistines, which apparently, I mean, obviously hated Israel, yet as a Jewish family, they went to live among the Philistines and they had plenty of food to eat. So the fourth notable miracle was that God gave them supernatural provision even from the heathen. These are major miracles. You understand that there was a supernatural pregnancy. There was somebody raised from the dead. God gave prophetic words to this woman. She went among the heathen and the heathen provided for her. Through the wicked, God gave food to her family. Okay? Then, it didn't end there. When she left, obviously people occupied her home and land. So she comes back from the Philistines and she's like, I got to get my home back. But people have have overtaken it. And so she goes to the king to ask for her home and land back. And it just so happened. Now think about the timing of this. Seven years have passed. It just so happened on that day, not the day after. It was on the same day she goes there. That of all people, Gehazi was there. And Gehazi was telling the king all the cool stories that Elisha had done. The axe head floating and all those sort of things. And when he gets to the part about, you know, I saw Elisha raise somebody from the dead. Gehazi is telling the king about Elisha raising the dead. And can't you imagine the king is just sitting here like this, just listening to him. This is awesome. And Gehazi is telling him, he's thinking, this is so cool. And then Gehazi says, and you know what? I can't believe it, but she's standing right there. And so the king looks and there's the woman in his chamber that her son had been raised from the dead. And so he's, the king says to her, what can be done for you? And she said, I need my home and land back. And the king says, you got it. So she had divine supernatural favor, and I mean like a divine appointment. If she had come any other time to ask for her land back, think about this, she would have just been another person there. But the fact that Gehazi was there telling her story, she had favor with the king. And then after that, not only did the king give her a home and land back, but also the king 
restored back everything that had been lost over those seven years. How many knows that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten? Amen? Seven major miracles that took place in her life because she welcomed the move of God into her home and her family. So I want to talk to you for a moment about your home. And I want you to think about your home. How is your home spiritually speaking? There's some places that have beautiful homes. They're, you know, maybe real elaborate. But spiritually speaking, they're disgusting. Now, don't you think about like this spiritual hygiene? How, how is it there? Is it, is it a place that's warm and loving or is it a place where it's tense? Is it a place easy to pray or is it a place that's difficult to pray? <clears throat> and so <clears throat> I was thankful when we bought our home that we were the first ones to live there. So we didn't have a lot to deal with from previous owners. Okay, amen. But either way, because my wife and I have this debate. So she was saying, one time she was saying, well, there, somebody was talking about this house that maybe had been haunted or whatever. And she was like, yeah, I wouldn't want to live there. And I was like, but they're selling it for so cheap. And I said, I could buy it and just cleanse it. It's not a problem. And then we could either keep it or sell it and make a profit. And she just laughed and said, but I wouldn't want to live there. You know, and I said, I wouldn't care. I'd pray and get it out of there. It's a faith thing, isn't it? All right, so anyway, here's the story. It says, God told Moses, when you enter the land of Canaan, now, in the Midrash, which is a Jewish teaching, it says, it's a book, and in that it says this. It says that the inhabitants of Canaan were very superstitious, and they had these gods that they worshipped. And so they would take, they knew what happened in Egypt. They knew that God had sent all those plagues. And that now Joshua had come to take Canaan, and they were afraid. So they melted down their silver and gold, and they kind of beat them into little idols of their gods that they worship. And they embedded them into the walls of homes or maybe buried them down in the ground underneath the home so that they thought, you know, if Israel came in and invaded and we had to evacuate our home for a time, when, when we were able to repossess the home, we could get back our wealth, you see. So that's what they had done. At least that's what the Midrash says. And it makes sense in fitting with this as probably what happened. But let me try to explain this as I go. I'm just going to read Leviticus 14, starting with verse 34. God told Moses, when you enter the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, I will put a mark of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession. So picture this for a moment. The word metzora is translated as leprosy, but to be honest, almost all Bible scholars know that metzora is something different than what we know as the disease leprosy. It was a, it was more like a spiritual disease of uncleanness that would come on a person because even the symptoms of it were, were a little bit different. And not only that, but it wouldn't just be on a person. It would appear in a home or even, even appear in garments. So it was a spiritual disease, if you will. Okay. Then he said, but think about this. So somebody's living in a home and all of a sudden these green and red streaks come down a, a wall and they're looking at this saying, what is this that's in my home? It's obviously a spreading leprosy of some kind that's appearing on the walls in my home. And he says, if this happens, that there's a mark of Metzora in that home on the walls, he said that the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest saying, 
something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house, then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the mark, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and look at the house, and he'll look at that mark on the wall. And if the mark on the wall of the house is greenish or reddish depressions, like it's eaten into it, he said it appears deeper than the surface. So think about that. So it's not just something that's like a hygiene thing. It's something that's eaten into the wall. He said, if it looks like that, then the priest shall come into the house of the doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. The priest shall return on the seventh day and make an inspection. If the mark has spread, then the priest shall order them to tear out the stones in that wall because it could be that something's in that wall. You see, they were to tear all the stones out where that was. And it says that the priest shall have them tear it out, then throw them in an unclean place outside the city. And he'll have that house scraped, okay? And then he'll dump... They shall dump the plaster and all that was scraped off in an unclean place. And then they will rebuild that area with good stones and replace the stones and the plaster and everything. All right. So it would seem that that would fix the problem. If, however, because think about it, they tore the stones out. If there was an idol or something in there, they would have found it. Okay. But if, however, the mark breaks out again in the house after he's done all this and scraped the house, then he'll have to, the priest will come in and make an inspection. If he sees the mark is indeed spread in the house, it's a malignant mark in the house. It is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the entire house, all of its stones, all of its timbers, all the plaster, and take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into that house during that time it has been quarantined becomes unclean till evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house must wash his clothes with water, and whoever eats in the house must wash his clothes. Because it's somehow unclean spiritually okay if on the other hand the priest comes and sees that it's not spread then he can declare it to be clean but look at what god told him to do this is an interesting process here so if the priest was going to declare this house now to be clean they scraped it they replaced it he comes back in seven days and it looks good he's looking around he says the house looks good guys it's clean this is what they had to do to cleanse the house spiritually you shall take two birds. This speaks of the death and resurrection. I'm going to just explain it as I go. And cedar wood, which represents the cross. You're to take a scarlet string, which represents the blood, in particular the blood covenant. How many remember the story of Rahab with the red cord? All right. It speaks of the blood covenant. And hyssop. Now, hyssop always speaks of faith. It was a common weed that grew in Israel, and you would pick it like this and pull it out of the ground, and use it as a paintbrush. And so at Passover, they dipped it in the blood, and they painted it or sprinkled it on the doorpost. Whenever the priest had to cleanse somebody spiritually, they would dip it in those waters of purification and sprinkle it with hyssop. What does hyssop represent? Faith. Because you apply the blood by faith. Amen? All right. So I'm just going to read it, explain it quickly, and move off this. Then he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet string with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird. So one bird had to die. Blood was shed. That represents the death. The other bird represents the resurrection. But he would take the hyssop, the scarlet, and the live bird and the cedar wood and dip them in the blood of the slain bird. And with and uh, the bird as well with running water and then sprinkle the house seven times. 
<laughs> then the house shall be cleansed. And then he would take that live bird and let it go. So all of this is symbolic of this. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. It's applying the blood and the cleansing of the cross to that home. Uh, you know, I've seen people go into these trying to cleanse homes spiritually, and there's a lot of TV shows about it out there. I'm saying this in love, but these people don't have a clue what they're doing. And I don't think that that home is any better than they found it. And I think a lot of times if they got rid of some demon or something, it either went into the witch that was there or into one of them or whatever, but it, it's not, they didn't fix anything. I'm just telling you. They're going through with their little sage and they brought in a witch that's supposed to be like a medium and they don't know what they're doing. They're making things worse. How many knows when you're in trouble, you don't turn to witches? But God's given us a pattern. This is, it's really not even complicated. What's the pattern? I mean, it's, it's spelled out here in symbolism, but you're applying the victory of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to that home. You're applying the blood to that home. That water represents a cleansing. And so they would kill one bird, that's the death, and they would take the live bird with the cross, the blood covenant, and faith, dip it in there, and they would sprinkle the home. Think about that poor live bird. I'm going everywhere with this thing. He's sprinkling the home, that bird. And then they would take the bird out and let the bird go. And it represented the cleansing. It represented applying the, poor bird, the death and resurrection of Christ to that home. Does this make sense? It's all symbolic, but it's a pattern. And if you need your home cleansed, you need to apply the blood of Jesus to that home. What Jesus did on the cross is applied to that home to cleanse it, okay? So it says, this is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for a scale. So talking about a person or for the leprous garment. Because there were garments that this would get into a garment and they had to cleanse the garment. All right, so let me say this before I move on. Most problems that Christians face, I've been in the ministry now for almost 30 years, and I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about a lot of different things. And anybody that's been in the ministry very long at all, and they're worth their salt at all, will tell you the same thing. Almost all problems, I'm not saying 100%, but almost all problems that Christians face can be fixed by the simplicity of obedience to the word of God. Let me show you. If they will genuinely forgive other people. Let it go, man. Number two, the deep repentance of sin. Quit blaming other people. Quit making excuses and just repent. Number three, if they would commit things to earnest prayer. And number four, if they would command the enemy to leave. How many have seen that movie, War Room? Really good movie about prayer. You remember when that lady finally had enough? And she went through her house and commanded Satan out of her house, out of her home, out of her family, out of her marriage. I know it's just a movie, but she was doing something that you need to do. If Christians will simply forgive others, will deeply, sincerely repent of their sin and will commit things to earnest prayer and drive the enemy out, you'd be surprised how many problems be fixed. That's the key. And so the same thing I would say in dealing with a home. 
I can't, I'm not going to get into this real deep tonight about what defiles things. I want to focus more on, on the solution. But there are homes that are demonized and they're defiled spiritually. Maybe somebody was murdered there in that home. Maybe there was sexual immorality in the home. Maybe there was witchcraft and occult practices in that home or the worship of other gods. But something took place in that home that spiritually defiled the home and affected not only the atmosphere of the home, but maybe welcomed in evil spirits into the home. And whenever that's gone on, the home simply needs to be cleansed. And so you can take and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to a home. You can enforce the victory Jesus paid for on the cross and God will cleanse it. So in the same way that you cleanse your life as a Christian, you can also cleanse land and a home that you purchased. So I remember one time I was talking about this and I've shared this story a lot, but there was a lady that was, I would say college age. She was probably about 20. And I was talking about these type of things, how things can not be good in the atmosphere of a home, especially if there were previous occupants that were living a wrong way, and then you come in after them, you need to cleanse the home, right? Anyway, she, she came up to me afterward and kind of privately wanted me to pray with her. And she said this, she said, what you said tonight is really helping me answer some questions. Because she said, I moved in this apartment, and I've been sleeping there but she said i've been tormented by these sexually perverted thoughts and she said listen she said i have never in my life had any type of homosexual tendencies ever she said when i moved into this apartment she said i have been tormented in the night with these sexually explicit thoughts of like lesbian activity and she's she's a female and she said i don't know where this is coming from but she said when you were preaching tonight She said, it dawned on me that the previous occupants of this apartment were lesbians. And she said, something is still in that apartment. I said, you better believe there is. You need to pray over that apartment. And so I taught her how to apply the blood and kick it out. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that if they really think about it, and I know I've taught on this a lot, but there was a, a couple that used to come here years ago, bought a new home. And I mean, I've taught on this a lot. These people have heard me teach. And he comes to me. He's like, Pastor, you need to pray for me because since I've moved in this home, I haven't been able to sleep. So I just feel oppressed and stuff. I said, well, have you prayed over your home? He said, no. I said, well, listen, go home and pray over your home. I mean, I've taught on this, man. He knows. Uh, so I printed him out something. We have cleansing homes and lamb. And I printed off and said, take this home and pray. And listen, this is a cool story. He said, Pastor, I I saw him like a week or two later. I need to talk to him. He said, let me tell you what happened. He said, this is an older home I'm living in. A lot of people have lived in this home before me. He said, I went in there and I did what you said. I I read through it and I went through and I applied the blood of Jesus, anointed everything, went room to room, prayed over it. And we ended up in our backyard and my wife and I took communion. And when I poured the juice out and applying the blood to that land, as soon as it hit, he said, It was this holy, hallowed moment where we felt the power of God so strong hit us. He said, since that time, I've had no problems in that home. He said, amen, that's what you do. So it's just like the the dead and the live bird. They were simply applying the victory of the cross to their home. They cleansed it by the blood of Jesus. They didn't go through there like a couple of weirdos burning sage. 
They didn't call their local witch to come in and tell them that there was some, you know, mysterious dead child that still resides in the basement. Okay, <laughs> that don't happen. Now, let me just clarify that for a second because, you know, this is becoming pervasive. Let me just say this. Please hear me tonight. I know it's kind of funny, but listen, whenever you die, whatever age you are, whatever sex you are, you do not inhabit homes. Okay, you don't haunt homes. You, you don't rattle chains in cemeteries, whatever. You don't. You either go to heaven to be with Jesus. The angels take you there because you're right with him. Or you go to hell to be with the devil and the demonic drags you down there. But you don't roam the earth bugging people. I'm just telling you. So what is it that is in these places? Demons. It's not complicated. When they appear, so to speak, like pierced through some to be seen, they can appear as an old woman or a little child. They can look like anything they want to. What does the Bible say about these matters? Here we go. Wait a second. You ready? In the last days... There will be spirits of deception and teachings of demons. These are deceiving spirits that are appearing to people. What is it promoting? Reincarnation. That when you die, you don't go to heaven or hell. You roam a house. It's deceiving spirits that are deceiving a lot of people out there now. You'd be surprised how many goofy people think because they, they shouldn't be watching these shows anyway. But they think that um, that people, when you die, I guess that you hang out at the house you died in or something. You're not going to be there long. You're, you're on your way out, up or down, but you don't hang out there. And so houses and land sometimes need to be cleansed. Maybe they were things that were there before you or whatever, but it's important that you have faith to cleanse it in the faith that it is cleansed. Hyssop. Everything is applied by faith, must be taken by faith that it's done, and you've got to walk in the victory that it is already done. Amen? And so I think that that's why you know, my wife and I, the presence of God is in our home, but we've been careful to pray over our home, and then we believe it to be done. Okay? So here's some things about the home. If you're going to cleanse your home, uh, we, again, we print, print this out. There's, there's a paper that we have on our website. And if you go to transformed the sermon one and then transform the sermon number two, this will be number three. On number two, there is going to be where you can print off cleansing your home and land. And it's something my wife and I wrote and a lot of people have downloaded, even when we had to switch websites and we don't offer it as a download. I've even been contacted by people. Where did that paper go? So we're going to have to figure out a way to get this a little more public. But it's helped a lot of people. But once you do that, let me give you some things that you need to uh, think about. Well, let me give you a few cool stories. All right, so there was a pastor I know very well. And years ago, back in the 90s, he was the pastor and spiritual father to my wife. And my parents went to his church for a little while. And he's come here to minister. He's an incredible man of God. And he was telling me that back in the 90s, God had put on his heart to have um, like a series, if you will, where they were exposing some of the Satanism and things that's been going on. And he had speakers come in and he said, he was telling me about this. He said, brother, it was like all hell broke loose. 
He said, we went through so much spiritual warfare trying to expose this. And he said that it just seemed like the end. It was just crazy. He said, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was telling me this personally. He was telling me one-on-one. He was saying, it was like the devil was giving out my phone number. He said, I was getting all kinds of weird calls in the middle of the night out of nowhere. I have an unlisted number. How did this even happen? And then he said, there was a mysterious uh, videotape that appeared in his office. There was a locked door there, another locked door, and an alarm. And it ended up there, and it was something of that nature. And then as soon as it came, it disappeared through a locked door, another locked door, and an alarm. The alarm never sounded. He said, explain that one. And then he said there was a truck driver driving down the road that got mixed up in the occult and it pulled over and came in and said, God told me to come in here for help. And he had gotten mixed up in some Satanism. He said it was crazy. It was like a swirl of activity. Just exploded. And he was like, man, what's going on? So... He was praying, and, and he went up to the church, and there was this van in the parking lot of some shady guys, and they tore out of there, but God told him, so those people are trying to pray against your church and curse it. So he said, Lord, what do I do? And God said, here's what you do. So he wa- God told him to walk the property applying the blood, apply the victory of the cross, and mark it off on each four corner, and command the enemy out, and seal it off, and that would be the end of it. And once he did that, he said, it just calmed down. Now think about that for a minute. That was a pretty neat story. It stayed with me. He said, I walked the outer perimeter. I applied the blood over the property. I marked the corners. I buried something in the ground on each corner like a stake in the ground and told the devil, this is holy ground. This is off limits to your kingdom. I command you out in Jesus' name. This is over. This is going to stop. And he said, after that, it calmed down. So it's a faith thing. But once you mark off your property and you make it holy ground, how many knows that we need that? Because we're living in times that you need to have a refuge that you can come home and it can be a place of peace. But I want everybody to listen to what I'm going to say now. For your home to be a dwelling place for God, you're going to have to keep it holy. Make sure that your home is a place that's in order. Where the husbands are leading, the wives are submitting and everything as unto the Lord and children are obeying the parental authority. There has to be order. If things are out of order, you can forget about peace in your home. And that to me, we were talking about that just last night. We had dinner with a a ministry couple. My wife and I were talking about that seems to be what's pervasive in our culture, isn't it, Sandy? And she's been a real voice about that in a very public way on television, on very large media platforms. She has been really rebuking this. But if people's homes are not going to be in order, the husbands are not going to lead, the wives are not going to submit, children are not going to... You can forget about having peace in your home. So that's number one. And that seems to be a seed of rebellion that Satan has sown in our culture that's widespread, isn't it? It's almost like it's rare nowadays to find homes in order. And then number two, once you get your home in order, then you need to look at some things. Now, I don't think this applies to anybody here, but let's, you know, we're going out on the internet with this. But you need to make sure there's not anything associated with the occult in your home. If you've got Ouija boards, you've got tarot cards, you've got books about witchcraft or the satanic Bible or some weird thing in your home, you need to get it out of your home. 
you having it in your home is going to give access for demonic activity and they have every legal right to go right into your home where that stuff dwells. So anything to do with witchcraft, divination, sorcery, the occult in any way, you need to search the home and make sure it's not in there. Also, anything to do with idolatry. If you have anything to do, like for example, with, with things to do with Buddha or Hinduism, maybe you've gone to other countries and you've brought things home as souvenirs and it's things to do with pagan idolatrous things, you better get that stuff out of your home. I've heard some real horror stories of people that brought that stuff in their home. And the Bible says, I, did, I believe it's Deuteronomy 7.28, something like that, that you bring something of destruction into your home, you yourself will be destroyed with it. It brings destruction. Also, anything to do with Freemasonry. And that was something, ironically, so I remember that we began to learn about these things back years ago. And I mentioned it to my parents. And they began to really search the home. And and lo and behold, there was a Freemasonic ring that was passed down the family that my mother still had. Didn't even think about it. Because it was just something that was given so many years ago and not knowing there would be anything wrong with it. So dad got, you know, destroyed it and got rid of it, got off the property. But see, anything like that can be a door. So number one, anything to do with the occult, idolatry and Freemasonry, things like that, you need to get it out of your home and if possible, destroy it and, but destroy it off your home, get it away from it. So you don't have a bunch of remains there, get it off your property. Number two, anything sexually unclean. So if you've been looking at pornography, you've got porno magazines tucked under your bed, you've got some type of sexually explicit thing in your home, you better get it out of your home. Let me tell you, if you want demonic activity in your home, pornography is a big door to make it happen. Number four, anything that's going to cause irrational like fear or extreme violence in the home like for example, people that are really into those dark um, occult or like slasher movies, people being cut up to pieces and all that, how is that entertainment anyway? Okay, but if you've got things in your possession that has to do with like slasher movies and real dark satanic ritualistic stuff or dark occult slasher movies, you obviously need to quit watching that as a Christian, get it off your property, get rid of it. The next thing you need to deal with is there are things that have to do with bondage. So anything that creates bondage. How many knows that you don't want things in your home that have to do with illicit drugs, alcoholism, tobacco addictions, gambling addictions? Do you know what I'm saying? Anything that has to do with addictions, you need to get it out of your home, off your property. That would be another big one. Also, I would add, if you have anything that's like ungodly soul ties to old relationships that you need to sever. Like if you have something that an old, you're married now, but you have something that an old girlfriend gave you, I would get rid of that. But anything that's like a a tie to something of the past that's not a good tie, I would get rid of it. 
And I would add this, pray over things that come into your home. It, listen to what I'm saying. This is interesting because who would have thought in America this would ever happen? But now, the big debate of the early church was about food sacrificed to idols. How many have read that? So in Rome, I mean, all these pagan temples, all these different gods were there, and people would bring their sacrifices there. They would face the temple, the priesthood would offer these sacrifices, that, but they would sell the meat in the marketplace. And so some Christians felt we didn't need to buy that meat and eat it because it was food sacrificed to idols, and I understand their position. But the Apostle Paul said this, <clears throat> when you go to market, don't ask about it. All food can be consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Just buy your food, go home and pray over it, and that'll be the end of it. He said, have faith for that. But Jesus, though, mentioned it in Revelation because he was talking about a Jezebel spirit in that church in Thyatira. And he said that that lady was teaching them uh, to get into sexual immorality and teaching them to eat food sacrificed to idols, meaning that they were participating in those things. Does that make sense? They were going to the pagan temples and they were probably participating in occult stuff. But now in America, as weird as this is, I mean, there's even food you have to look for, it, but now it's called halal, H-A-L-A-L, and it's food, animals that have been facing Mecca and they kill the animal so that it's kind of uh, sacrificed to Allah so that people that are into Islam will get it and eat it. And that's in your local grocery. I mean, who really cares about it? But my point is just pray over it like the Apostle Paul. Just buy your groceries, but pray over things that are coming into your home. Amen. All right. And I would say anything that you buy, it'd be good to pray over because, you know, there's extreme cases. But I know that my wife said that when they were growing up, they got that those um, that hutch and other things from a garage sale. Is that right? Or from some estate sale. But some some lady had passed away. But there was a spirit associated with that weird hutch that they used to communicate with anyway. So that if you know her testimony, you know what I'm talking about. But if you buy things secondhand or from other homes or from Goodwill or something like that, it's a good idea to pray over it because you don't know where it's been. Everybody still with me? All right. So if you want the glory in your home, you're going to have to keep your home spiritually clean. That's why I say, you know, we have filters on things. We watch on television, movies to filter. And, I, you know, I'm selective about what video games I let kids have. But it's being selective because you don't want to allow just anything in. Because if you start letting all this garbage in that grieves the Holy Spirit, do you think the Holy Spirit's going to stay there? No. You're welcoming in the filth. Then the Holy Spirit says, all right, that's what you want. I'm out of here. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence in our homes, His glory. But that means you've got to keep that home in a way that's going to please the Holy Spirit. So order and unity, but peace and harmony. Don't go to bed fighting. Make sure you pray together, that you, you get along in your home, and, and that there's, there's peace and harmony there. All right, so these are some things that you need to think about. Also, be careful about the conversations that you have. If you invite some people over, and they're sitting around just the whole time just gossiping and bashing other people in your home, that grieves the Holy Spirit. And they go home, and you feel like you need a spiritual bath. What do you think that's done to the atmosphere of your home? All right, so then my advice is don't have them back. But you ought to pray after they leave, God cleanse this home from all that filth and command it out. And let me tell you, there's a spirit about that stuff. 
is I remember there was a job I was at years ago, and there was this one little room where all the women would get in there and just gossip. They did. It was bad. And I never went in there, you know, obviously. And so this one day, though, I had to go in there to get something. They weren't even in there. They, they were doing their job. That the, Their little gossip session at lunch was over, whatever. And so I went in there to get something, and I was like, ooh. I mean, it was like you, you went from a normal feel. You, when you got in the room, it felt nasty. And it's like, I'm ready to get out of here, you know. So be careful about the conversations that you have in your home. Is this helping anybody tonight? All right, two more quick things, and I'm going to pray. Consecrate your home and bless your home. Something that my wife and I have been doing for a while It's powerful to take communion in your home. I really hate the pet doctrines and traditions of men that have stolen things from God's people. They're taught that the only time you can take communion is at church, and it has to be administered by a preacher and all that. That's not scriptural. The Bible says as often as you will. You can take communion at home. You can take it in a hotel room. You can take it flying 30,000, 40,000 feet in the air in an airplane if you want to. Didn't one of those guys take it on the moon? Am I, am I right? Neil Armstrong or somebody? I think they took it on the moon. So I'm just saying you can take communion wherever you so desire. And it's just, it's a heart issue between you and the Lord. How cool would that be, actually? I'm just stopping and thinking about taking communion on the moon. I think he did. In his little spacesuit. I think he did it in the shuttle. How would you eat it in your spacesuit? So I'm sure he did it on the shuttle. But I'm telling you, one of those guys took communion on the moon. So you can take communion wherever you want. It's between you and the Lord. And the same thing with water immersion and anointing with oil. It does not have to be this religious dead ritual only at church. I mean, I've had some powerful times of immersing people in a pool or something like that outside of church. And seeing people healed. And and it's something you can do on your own. Um, You don't have to have a preacher do it. Also, I think about anointing with oil. You can anoint your home. You can anoint each other. And how many know sometimes you got kids, you need to really anoint them kids real good, right? And pray over them. You can anoint your home, and you do not have to have a preacher doing it for you. So you go through, and I'm going to tell you, as you take communion in your home, as you apply the blood to your property, one of the ways you can do that, after you take communion, take some of that juice and pour it out on the land, and Lord, I apply the blood of Jesus to this land. Isn't that powerful? Also, you can anoint your rooms with oil and pray over them and speak a blessing. And I would add that we have entryways now that the early church would not have had. You know, obviously, we have entryways like a door or a window or something like that. I mean, we all that's always been there. But I want you to think about this. What about the Wi-Fi and the DVR? Doorways that the early church would have never known about. So I would recommend people to apply the blood very seriously over your Wi-Fi and over your DVR that God keep out anything that would try to ride that in, okay? So anoint your property, anoint all the entryways. And just like I was talking about that pastor, he, he marked off like a big football field. You know, he went to the corners and marked off the property. And then he stood there as the headship and said, Satan, you listen to me, this is holy ground, this is a church. 
I command all of hell's influence off this church, out of this property. You will not return. This stops now in Jesus' name. This belongs to God. You're trespassing out. And he said after that, it just stopped. There was no more of the weird stuff going on. All right. And finally, after you cleanse your home and pray over your home, and again, as you go through that cleansing homes and land, because there's a lot to that. There's prayers. There's blessings. It kind of walks you through what to do. But after you do all of that, then what do you need to do in your home? Here's what we do. If you want the glory in your home, you're going to have to ask the Lord for Him to put His glory there. But also, you can do things like play like anointed, powerful church services or whatever into your home, like things that worship and anointed, things like that. Really make a lot about the blood of Jesus reverence the blood take communion talk about the blood the blood is powerful also speak blessings over your home now this is powerful walk through and speak blessings don't curse your home don't curse your family speak a blessing over your family speak a blessing over your property speak a blessing and that cleansing homes and lands gives you blessings to speak also anoint your home And then also make your home a place of worship and prayer. You know, you you can do whatever you feel led to do. I have a particular office that I've kind of dedicated to that purpose. But I pray throughout the home. I mean, I pray everywhere in the home, and it's a place of prayer. But that place, my office, that's all that goes on there. There's not, I don't have a television in there. I don't have anything really else that I mess with in there. It's just a place of worship and prayer. It's a place where I make, prepare sermons, etc. It's not the only place I do, but it is a place that's kind of dedicated to that. And so you can go in there and feel the Lord. I mean, it's just peaceful. It's just a place that's easy to pray. You could have a place like that in your home if you want. I know this one guy got saved in the Brownsville Revival, and he said that he was kind of tearing up. He was talking about, you know, he was such a heathen before that. And he said that we bought a home, we moved down here, my wife and I, and when we bought the home, we have multiple bedrooms and bathrooms. He said, one bedroom we have totally dedicated to be a prayer room. And he said, that's all that goes on there. And and here's a a cool story I'll tell you that just is kind of neat. So we were out in Mexico area. I think it was Los Fresnos, right on the border of Mexico. We were going there back and forth doing ministry stuff. And actually... Brianna was with me at one point, but I don't think you were there at this time. But the missionary that was there, he had been there a long time, and they had had some really powerful moves of God there. He he was telling me about some of the history there where there was seasons where the Holy Spirit just fell. And I mean, they had people coming in and getting saved and healings. But he said this, he said... um, I want to show you something kind of cool because he knew I was in, in the ministry. And he said, for whatever reason, he had kind of a big property there. So they had a home and they had like a, a gym and a facility. He said, for whatever reason, God has really put his presence in this one room. He said, I don't know if it's an angel or what, but he said, go in the room. I went in there and the presence of God was intense in that one room. And I don't know why, but it was strong. And he said, so one time I had this group of young people that a youth pastor brought. And he said there was this one kid that was exceptionally ornery and difficult. 
And he said, he was getting on my nerves. And we were walking past the room, and I, and I told that kid, I said, hey, why don't you go in here for a little while and pray? And kind of pushed him in the room, shut the door, you know. And he said that in the room, that kid had some kind of breakthrough, started crying and was kind of trembling and really got things right with God. Sometimes you just need to get them in the presence of God. Amen. And I remember this, I'm rabbit trailing, okay, but I remember I was at this youth camp one time and this guy, it was a minister, very strong anointing on his life. And he had a group that he was, uh, like over a dorm, he had a group there. And he was telling me this because we were talking over lunch or something. And he said, there's this one kid that's really annoying and difficult. And he said, from day one, he said, the kid just got on my nerves. But he committed the kid to really pray for this kid. Because I know he was telling me this because it was later on in the week. And this kid got hit by the power of God. Went out and people were like picking him back up. And the guy was praying for him again. Wham, he's going down. And they just kept praying for the kid until he was just a mess on the floor. And he was, so he's telling me this story. He said, well, God answered my prayer. And I said, what happened? He said, that was, the, that was the most difficult kid in my dorm, man. He said, he got on my last nerve, rebellious. And he said, I've been really interceding for that kid all week. And now look at him, you know. And I was like, that's awesome. So a lot of times they just need somebody praying for him. Amen. So you want the glory in your home. And also in the Bible, there was a principle about the morning and the evening sacrifice. So every morning and every evening, so it'd be around nine in the morning, about three in the afternoon, that the priest would offer up a sacrifice. And it was a lamb and they would pour out the fruit of the vine and they would have uh, bread it was a picture and type of like taking communion and applying the blood. But they had to do this every morning and every evening, and it was a perpetual commandment. And there's a principle there that God's wanting every morning, every evening. There's something about this. Every morning I pray, and every evening before we go to bed, we pray. And we apply the blood by faith to our lives, okay? So God wants your home to be a place where his presence dwells. How many have ever been in a particular home at some point that seemed to be oppressed by the enemy. It seemed to be people fought there. It was easy to fight, difficult to pray. Maybe people had bad dreams there. It was just a place that was not really comfortable to be in. You didn't really like it there. You knew that something spiritually was just not quite right. Anybody ever been there before in a home like that? How many have ever stayed in a hotel room that you slept in? You're like, something just isn't quite right. I've had that too. Well, spiritually speaking, something before you got there made it unclean. But just like the two birds, we can cleanse it. Okay, so apply the victory of the cross to that place especially if you have a right to be there. If you, if you paid money to stay in that hotel room, that's your room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And anything else in there is a freeloader and a trespasser because you paid for that room. And the same thing, if you're re- whether you're renting a house or you own that house and land, you have a right to be there. And as a Christian, you have a right that that property is now holy ground and the enemy loses his right to be there anymore. But you've got to pray about it. So if there's something that ever happened there before you got there, pray about it. If there was some weird thing, you can pray. And it's again, I'm referencing this again, but it's in that cleansing homes and lands. There's prayers in there about that. But maybe there was bloodshed there. Maybe there was occult practices. 
Whatever it was, you can pray, Lord, we confess it as sin, that you cleanse the land. And when you apply the blood, it's cleansed. So you have to have faith. I know I've prayed for people through the years that maybe like, for example, casting a demon out of somebody. I've done that many, many, many times. And there, you can see it in their eyes and they're, they're trying to intimidate you. But let me tell you how to not get a demon out. Is to be afraid or think that I can't do this or if I kick it out it's going to come after or something like that. You can't do any of that. They're kind of like, you ever been around dogs that, that they sense fear and they're growling at you? It's not the time to run. You need to have faith that that thing has to go in Jesus' name. Greater is he that's in me than you. And you have to drive it out by faith. In the same way when it comes to property or anything else, just like I saw about that pastor. That pastor consecrated that whole church and stood there and said, everything of the devil has to go. This is the end of the matter. There's nothing else. There's no more discussing this. You're out. This is God's property. And things stop. Once you cleanse that thing, they have to go, and that's the end of it. And the same thing with a person. Once you pray with somebody and they've, they've genuinely prayed to cancel legal ground in their life, they've repented of whatever they did, then the enemy has to go, okay? And so I think that there is a, a strong faith factor. Now, I'll tell you something else that the devil hates is the Word of God. And that's why I'm telling you guys, try to get into a habit of bringing a physical Bible back to church. But you know, there's something about having these Bibles in your home and having them open and reading them out loud and maybe having it play in your home. But Satan hates the Word of God, man, I'm telling you. If you're going to bring the Holy Spirit in your home, you're going to reverence the blood and cleanse that land, you're going to have the Word of God in your home, I'm telling you, the enemy is not going to want to dwell there. So we have authority, and God wants us to cleanse our homes. And I know for me... I can come home and sense the peace and presence of God. How many have ever gone somewhere, maybe here at this church, but you've gone somewhere that you walk in and you feel the presence of God? Don't you want your home to be like that? I do. You can just come in, it's peaceful, but it's all going to be up to us if we're going to do our part to have order and unity. If we're going to get the, the spiritual unclean stuff out, we can pray over our home. But we're going to have to make it a place of prayer and we're going to have to keep things right with God. You can't sit there at night watching pornography and then wake up the next morning and crack your Bible and start praying and think everything's going to be okay. It's not okay. You can't sit there and have some satanic book in your home that's got a big giant pentagram and a goat's head on it and it's got rituals in there how to summon demons. And you're going to have that in your home, and then what? You're going to crack your Bible and sit back and pray? How many knows that you're going to have problems in that home until you get rid of that book? So you need to do some inventory. Is there anything in my home that the Holy Spirit absolutely does not want in my home? Get it out. Pray over your home, and then be at peace about it, okay? God's with you. And the final thing I would say is this. The Bible promises us that the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear the Lord to deliver them. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that there are, there are angels around my property. I know there are. I've seen them sometimes. And I know that there's angels that are here even when we're not. In fact, 
When Brother Benny was here, he said he called one angel that was here on this property, the church, he called it a sheepdog. He said it's like a sheepdog. He said it's watching over things. How many knows we need some of those type of angels? They don't play. And once you command the enemy out, I'm telling you, those angels, they don't mess around. They're with us, man. They are there to drive the enemy out. Amen. And so you need angels around your property. Pray about it. God answers the prayers of his people. God put angels around my property, put angels around my bed when I sleep, that even when I'm not awake, your angels are watching out for things. Amen? All right, I think I've covered everything pretty well, but the key to victory about land or a family bloodline or an individual is cancel the legal ground. And then destroy the works of Satan and then drive the enemy out. That's the key. It's very simple. You cancel the legal ground in that home by confessing the sin that was there. You break any curse off the property or anything else that you think is oppressing it. And then you command the enemy out in Jesus' name. Very simple, and it will work, I promise you. What you don't do is burn sage and invite witches to come. And then go through and start doing some weird rituals trying to summon the dead. That's not what you do. I promise you, your home is going to get worse if you start doing this Ghostbuster stuff out there. But Lord, we pray tonight, we thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over this time. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. And I thank you, Lord, for sealing this right now in Jesus' name in the hearts of people that they, they themselves can download that, that um, paper. They can pray over it on their property. And, Lord, that you'll be with them and that your presence will come into that place in an awesome way. That the heavens will be open over their property and the glory of God dwell there. Lord, let your angels be around that place and traffic through there and make sure that place is holy ground under surveillance, under protection in these last days. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to pray with some people tonight. If you could go ahead and do what you got to do back there and just put on.